Welcome to episode 162 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about Nixon's closure of the gold window. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as Nixon, the U.S. embargo on Cuba, the National Democratic Party, government monopolies, or the COVID-19 vaccine comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. This week marks the 50th anniversary of President Nixon's supposedly temporary closing of the gold window. In this episode, we are going to walk through a brief history lesson on money, banking, and currency in the United States, and then examine the impact of Nixon's negligent policy. So let's start at the beginning. The Constitution. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution gives Congress the powers to, quote, coin money, regulate the value thereof, and a foreign coin and fix the standards of weights and measures, end quote. I want you to consider that for just a minute. Notice it does not say print money. This is something that modern Americans, for the most part, fail to realize. Please keep that in mind throughout the episode. It only took a handful of years after the ratification of the Constitution for the likes of Alexander Hamilton to start pushing Congress to charter the first National Bank of the United States, which they did in February 1791. So right off the bat, we have the federal government violating the Constitution. Hamilton's rationale wasn't much different from those who later came up with the Federal Reserve. He thought a central bank was necessary to stabilize and improve the nation's credit and to better manage the financial business of the United States government. You have to remember, Hamilton was a big government guy. He wanted the federal government to have way more power than the Constitution granted. He also knew that his vision of a powerful national government was impossible without a central bank to backstop government borrowing. The Bank of the United States could loan money to the federal government in times of war and encourage economic development by providing American businesses with access to capital they could invest in their firms. The charter for the First Bank of the United States expired shortly before the War of 1812. So the second charter came up in Congress during President James Madison's term. The war crisis was used to push for the bank. Never let a crisis go to waste was in full operation 200 years ago in America. In 1816, the so-called father of the Constitution overcame his earlier constitutional objections to a national bank and signed the bill into law. The second bank of the United States was born. It was even larger than the first and became one of the largest corporations in the world. Its 20-year charter was fraught with challenges from the states and the Supreme Court, but it survived. That is, until its charter came up for renewal and President Andrew Jackson put an end to it when he vetoed the bill. He defended his decision on constitutional grounds, pointing out that the Constitution does not specifically grant Congress the power to create a national bank. Duh. As you can imagine, a bunch of shenanigans ensued, culminating with Jackson pulling all the federal government's funds out of the Bank of the United States 
and the bank dissolved in 1836. As part of this history lesson, I think it would be useful to take a minute to reflect on what a dollar was, the, the paper dollar. See, back in the day, the U.S. dollar and most other currencies were backed by or pegged to gold. Remember, the Constitution, coin money, that meant gold or silver coins were to be used. So we were all on what is known as a gold standard. It's accomplished simply by the government holding gold and possibly silver in places like the infamous Fort Knox. They then issued pieces of paper called dollars or certificates that were redeemable for actual gold or silver. The money was, so to speak, sound or hard because we knew what backed it, a sound, hard, valuable commodity. Our dollar bills used to have the following verbiage printed right on them, quote, redeemable in gold on demand at the United States Treasury or in gold or lawful money at any Federal Reserve Bank. Look it up online if you have never heard of it. It's pretty cool. And I'll keep that in mind as we move forward. It's very important. Now, it took 77 years for the totalitarians to reestablish another central bank in the United States. The year was 1913. The entity was called the Federal Reserve. And as we can see today, over 100 years later, the Federal Reserve Act sealed the fate of the nation. Abandoning the gold standard was the long-term goal of the politicians, financial elites, and deceitful economists. The first step was the establishment of the Federal Reserve in 1913, whose primary purpose was to allow its member banks to inflate the money supply without fearing the consequences. You know, like bank failures, bank panics, bank runs, recessions, depressions. The Fed could, and still does, through the control of the money supply, enrich itself, the government, and its aligned financial elites at the expense of the public at large, i.e. too big to fail. It took less than 20 years for the Federal Reserve to prove itself to be impotent. The Great Depression ensued, and as history now reveals, it was exacerbated by the Fed. I have produced two episodes on the Fed. I encourage you to listen. They will provide a nice compliment for this one. Check out episodes 27 and 28. Getting back on topic, we are leading up to Nixon's foolish decision to crush the quasi-gold standard in 1971. But here we are, still stuck in the early part of the century. Well, see, it's all connected. How many of you are aware of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's confiscation of gold from American citizens in 1933? The dude outlawed the private ownership of gold. As damaging as Nixon's executive order was, compare that to the dishonest and dare I say sinister and illegal nature of what FDR did. It was an unprecedented and outrageous attack on private property. It's crazy to think about it, especially given our Constitution, but in 1933, FDR signed Executive Order 6102 which required American citizens to turn in their gold in order to protect the value of the dollar. It was a crisis. There we go, another crisis that couldn't be wasted. Those suckers who turned in their gold received $20 and change per ounce of gold. That gold was then held on the United States Treasury, on the country's balance sheet, so to speak. And guess what? Less than a year later, FDR decreed that gold was now valued at $35 an ounce effectively increasing the value of the nation's balance sheet by almost 75%. That allowed the government to expand the supply of dollars. Voila, just like that. See what I mean by sinister? The reason behind Roosevelt's executive order and the Congressional Joint Resolution was to remove constraints on inflating the money supply. 
the Federal Reserve Act required all Federal Reserve notes to have 40% gold backing. But the Fed was low on gold and up against the limit. By increasing its gold stores through the confiscation of private gold holdings and declaring a higher exchange rate, the Fed could circulate more dollars. Roosevelt's draconian measure of outlawing the private ownership of gold eliminated gold redemption of dollars domestically, which gave the Fed unlimited power to print money without fear of its notes being redeemed by U.S. citizens. So FDR screwed American citizens in order to inflate the currency and print more money. Are you following along so far? The Constitution says coins are money, which is a natural limitation of power and spending. Early founding fathers circumvented that by establishing a national bank, but we still had a gold standard. Then tyrannical, power-hungry oligarchs and Woodrow Wilson established a permanent central bank, the Fed, which failed miserably during the Great Depression and ever since. Then another tyrant, FDR, confiscates private property without due process, violating both natural law and the Constitution. This is the reason these folks are called progressives. They progressively erode constitutionally protected natural rights. The next chapter of this brief history lesson is the Bretton Woods Agreement of 1944, which essentially established the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency and allowed foreign banks to redeem $35 with the U.S. Treasury in return for one troy ounce of gold. This is what Nixon unilaterally dismantled in 1971. What was the effect of this agreement? It limited the Fed's ability to expand the money supply of dollars due to the possibility of other governments redeeming their dollars for gold. It invoked discipline and sensibility on the American monetary system. Fast forward through the next two decades, the federal government had the need to finance the Korean War, the Vietnam War, then LBJ's Great Society and his War on Poverty and all of his guns and butter economic and social policies. They financed this primarily by printing dollars, not backed by gold. They inflated the currency. The effect, of course, was rising prices, and the U.S. dollar noticeably declined in value, as did worldwide confidence in it. Foreign governments ramped up their conversion of dollars to gold. Requests for gold redemption began picking up, and the U.S. lost over half of its stock of gold from the early 1950s to the end of the Brent Wood system in 1971. This is exactly what a gold standard is supposed to prevent. It limits the amount the money supply can grow and constrains the government's ability to spend. If the government prints too much money, other countries will begin to redeem the devaluing currency for gold. This is what was happening in the 1960s. As gold flowed out of the U.S. Treasury, concern grew that the country's gold holdings could be completely depleted. We have now arrived at that fateful day when President Nixon unilaterally took the United States off the gold standard, one that had been in place for almost 200 years, replacing it with a much more easily manipulated paper or fiat standard, whereby we literally start printing dollar bills with no gold backing from that day forward. Consider that for a moment. One dumbass president kills the nation's monetary system, and Congress does nothing to stop it. Let that sink in. It's worse than that. Since the dollar was the world's reserve currency, Nixon's closing of the gold window put the world on an irredeemable paper monetary standard, the same one that is wreaking havoc today. Here's a clip of part of Nixon's announcement. 
We must protect the position of the American dollar as a pillar of monetary stability around the world. In the past seven years, there's been an average of one international monetary crisis every year. Now, who gains from these crises? Not the working man, not the investor, not the real producers of wealth. The gainers are the international money speculators. Because they thrive on crises, they help to create them. In recent weeks, the speculators have been waging an all-out war on the American dollar. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy. And the American economy is by far the strongest in the world. Accordingly, I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets. Now, what does this action, which is very technical, what does it mean for you? Let me lay to rest the bugaboo of what is called devaluation. If you want to buy a foreign car or take a trip abroad, market conditions may cause your dollar to buy slightly less. But if you are among the overwhelming majority of Americans who buy American-made products in America, your dollar will be worth just as much tomorrow as it is today. The effect of this action, in other words, will be to stabilize the dollar. I am determined that the American dollar must never again be a hostage in the hands of international speculators. Notice his use of boogeymen. International money speculators, money traders. These speculators have been waging an all-out war on the dollar. We must defend the dollar against the speculators. You must be put in crisis mode. See how this works? You must fear something. Your president will fix it. We screwed it up by printing money, foreign countries called bullshit, and now we're fighting a war against international money speculators. You may have noticed how he dismissed devaluation. As long as you buy American-made products, no problem. American workers, the new international monetary system. Instead of doing the right thing and insisting on monetary discipline on the nation, cut spending and or raise taxes to pay for all the shit, but no, just like every other elected official, Nixon was a coward. The dollar was completely severed from any commodity banking, making it purely fiat money. The Federal Reserve could now inflate without any regard for redemption demands from anyone, private citizens, businesses, foreign governments, or foreign central banks. Oh, almost left this part out. In a repeat of FDR's willy-nilly pricing of gold, in December of 1971, Nixon devalued the dollar by raising the price of gold to $38 an ounce. Remember, it had been stuck at $35 for decades. Then, a couple short months later, he raised the price to $42.22 an ounce. Why the hell are American presidents deciding what the price of gold is? You know how I read the verbiage printed on the old U.S. currency, redeemable for gold, etc.? Well, after Nixon's unceremonious assassination of the gold standard, that verbiage had to be changed to what it says now. Quote, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. End quote. It should have a PS under it that says it's really just a worthless piece of paper backed by nothing. So what devastation has been left in the wake 
of Nixon's cowardly executive order? Well, off the top of my head, I'm thinking national debt, inflation, devaluation of the dollar, and lower standard of living. You can't inflate the money supply by over 2,000% and not expect rising prices and lower standard of livings for Americans. So let's take each of those one at a time. National debt. So a consequence of this, this policy rollback has been the enormous national debt that continues to grow at a staggering pace. Most people don't realize it, but this is a direct and intentional result of the current fiat money system. The national debt in 1971 was $400 billion. Today it's approaching $30 trillion. In what world is that at all reasonable? Alan Greenspan once said, we should never have reached this position of extreme indebtedness were we on the gold standard, because the gold standard is a way of ensuring that fiscal policy, that is taxes and spending, never gets out of line. While many consequences of this change could be cited, one of the most telling is that America went from a creditor nation in 1971 to a huge debtor nation today. As Frank Holmes put it in an article published by Forbes, quote, there's been a significant and growing lack of discipline when it comes to government spending, that is, since Nixon's fateful act. He goes on, before 1971, there was a natural limit on how much money could be printed. New issuances were dependent on the amount of gold sitting in the nation's coffers. Today, with the dollar backed not by a hard asset, but by the full faith and credit of the United States government, the federal debt is closing in on an astronomical, at that time, $28 trillion. It's more like 30 now, which is more than 130% of the size of the economy. All right, so that's national debt. What about inflation? Well, here's some, some interesting statistics for you. Inflation averaged 0.2% from 1790 to 1913. Do you remember what happened in 1913? From 1914 to 1971, the average inflation rate was 2.7%. From 1972 to 2019, it was 4%. And now, 2020 to 2021, we've seen year-over-year -year inflation rates in excess of 5%. Here's another quote from Alan Greenspan. In the absence of the gold standard, there is no way to protect savings from confiscation through inflation. There is no safe store of value. The financial policy of the welfare state requires that there be no way for owners of wealth to protect themselves, end quote. That's why inflation is known as a hidden tax, because the dollars you hold are worth less every day. It eats away at your savings. Think about how the inflating of the money supply leads to rising prices and how that impacts the average consumer. Think about a gallon of milk back in 1971. What did it cost? Let's just, let's just say it's a dollar. And the average home back then was, say, $26,000. Think about the cost of those items today. When you talk about inflation, the inflating of the money supply is inflation. The effect of that is rising costs. There are more physical dollars or credit floating around in the economy. Those dollars get sucked up at the cash register, whether it's milk or a house. Back in the 1960s, the price of an ounce of gold was $35, as we've talked about. Today, it's over I think it's $1,800 an ounce. Did you know that an ounce of gold today has the same or more purchasing power as it did 100 years ago? You obviously cannot say that about the U.S. dollar. Here's another example I found helpful. In 1962, Motel 6 launched its business. Their catch was, stay with us for only $6 a night, Motel 6. Today, that same room rents for what, $90 to $100? That's a 15-time increase in almost 60 years. 
Given the monetary environment in which we have lived over the course of our lifetimes, that fact probably does not surprise you. Everything's more expensive than it was 50 or 60 years ago, so it's just normal, right? No cause for alarm. But think about it. Are the Motel 6 rooms bigger? No. Are they significantly nicer? No. Are they cleaner? No. You are essentially getting the same product today as you did 60 years ago. However, back in 1962, an ounce of gold bought you six nights at the Motel 6. Today, one ounce of gold buys you 21 nights, demonstrating another example of how gold has outpaced inflation. Here's one I can't, I can't help but bring up because of the, the 1970s here. A barrel of oil in 1971 was $3. An ounce of gold, as we've talked about, was $35. That means that an ounce of gold would buy you 11.7 barrels of oil. Ten years later, at the peak of the oil embargo, it was selling for $39 a barrel. Gold was $850 an ounce. That bought you 22 barrels of oil for an ounce of gold. See how the devaluation of the dollar has accelerated? In that oil-gold example I just shared, the price of oil actually went down during that 10-year period, despite the quoted price of $3.39. Well, how's that, you ask? Well, priced in gold, a barrel of oil in 1971 was 0.085 ounces. Ten years later, at the peak of the oil prices, it took 0.45 ounces of gold to buy a barrel of oil, almost a 50% decrease in price. How nuts is that? The dollar has lost more than 85% of its value since Nixon's fateful decision. The purchasing power of the 1971 dollar is the equivalent of 15 cents. Weird though, the dollar value of gold has gone from $35 an ounce to $1,800 an ounce. In percentage terms, that's over a 5,000% increase. Investment analyst Nick Giambruno said this, Dollar devaluation is considered an acceptable trade-off because a free-floating currency is exactly what the government needed. It would be impossible to fund the American welfare and warfare state with a currency constrained by gold. With the dollar in untethered from any fixed standard, Uncle Sam could create as many dollars as it pleased in order to fund all of its massive social and military programs. With a free-floating fiat currency, the U.S. government can borrow as much money as it needs, knowing that the central bank will always be there to monetize the debt and backstop the spending. And finally, let's talk about lower standard of living. Nixon ending the gold standard. We observed that it was, wasn't just the dollar's convertibility into gold that died. So did the prosperity of the U.S. middle class, because while income growth for the bottom 90% of wage earners had soared ever since World War II, it suddenly flatlined around Nixon's historic decision in 1971. At the same time, the advent of the fiat standard ushered in an era of unprecedented wealth for the top 1%, whose fortunes have exploded ever since. Here's a final quote from Nick Giambruno. By every measure, including stagnating wages and rising costs, things have been going downhill for the American middle class since the early 1970s, August 15, 1971 to be exact. The rejection of sound money is the primary reason inflation has eaten up wage growth since the early 1970s and the primary reason the cost of living has exploded. So as we wrap up this episode, I want you to understand that under a gold standard, any over-exuberance in the markets would have been allowed to reset, i.e. a recession. And while things would have been a little painful for certain sectors of the market, the poor performing businesses would have filed bankruptcy and or been gobbled up by a competitor or an investment group 
who would then redeploy the assets of the failing firm. But see, politicians are cowards. They cannot afford to stand up and tell people the truth and let the chips fall where they may. So they let the Fed manipulate the credit market. The level of irresponsibility and willful negligence is hard to fathom. They just keep kicking the can down the road. Ludwig von Mises had this to say, the eminence of the gold standard consists in the fact that it makes the determination of the monetary unit's purchasing power independent of the measures of government. It rests from the hands of the economic czars, their most redoubtable instrument. It makes it impossible for them to inflate. This is why the gold standard is furiously attacked by all those who expect that they will be benefited by bounties from the seemingly inexhaustible government purse. Looking back at the lessons from this episode, what we saw was culturally the eradication of hard money was part of a transformation of a mature, frugal, hardworking, future-oriented, meritocracy-oriented people, turned them into an infantile, self-absorbed, dysfunctional, and hedonistic collection of individuals. I don't know where I found that quote, but no truer words have been spoken. If the federal government had to rely on tax receipts and borrowing that it could actually repay to fund all of its unconstitutional wars, foreign aid and domestic spending, it would be dead in the water. The ability to raise revenue through taxation and free market borrowing would naturally limit the government. But with the Fed backstopping the borrowing by monetizing the debt, there are virtually no limits on spending. What's going to happen when the world goes off the U.S. dollar standard? I mean, hell, we went off the gold standard. We violated the Bretton Woods Agreement, so therefore that contract is null and void. Russia, China, and other nations have been accumulating gold for the last decade. Why do you think that is? Could it be that they plan to establish a new currency or back their own currency with gold and displace the U.S. dollar? Then what do we Americans do with our truly worthless dollar bills? Do we just buy American goods and services from other Americans using worthless pieces of paper as a medium of exchange? I've said it before and I'll say it again. The only thing that can save America from itself is secession. A few states need to file for divorce due to irreconcilable differences with their corrupt, willfully negligent federal government. The United States legislative and executive branches are the epitome of the fox guarding the henhouse. Check out episodes 87, 88, and 128 for a deep dive into the topic of secession. So that's where we are today. A country on the brink of bankruptcy, a fact that most people are oblivious to. We went from a stable monetary system as prescribed by the Constitution based on sound money, hard money, to essentially a banana republic that just turns on the printing presses, thanks largely to President Richard Nixon's cowardly decision on August 15, 1971, and encouraged by a neutered, worthless, feckless, corrupt legislative branch of government. And that is the truth about Nixon's closure of the gold window. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.